0: I'm going to put up three uh, verses from Proverbs in a moment, so you hardly need to turn to them. But there is a theme in them which you'll see. It's quite challenging, in a way. Um, let's start off by looking at Proverbs 20, verse 20. And it says this that's the first one: "If someone curses their father or mother, their lamp will be snuffed out in pitch darkness." Sort of quite sort of severe. Then there's the next one. This is Proverbs 28, verse 24. Whoever robs their father or mother and says it is not wrong is partner to one who destroys. Let's just leave that for a moment before we move on to the next one. Because th- we'll just explain some of these. This probably referring to those who think it's not a sin or wrong to try and get their inheritance out of their parents before they die, like the prodigal son in Luke 15. It was something that might sometimes happen, where people thought, look, mum and dad are hanging around too long, I want my share now, and get on with it. Or, other commentators think, who get money, and this is a bit more contemporary as well perhaps, get money out of their parents by threatening them, or shaming them, or manipulating them. Almost sort of bribery, shame thing of getting money out of your parents, running up debts, for example, and then expecting your parents to pay it off, so that there's not shame brought on the family. That would be behind that, and uh, I think that's quite a, an interesting understanding what's behind the verse. Then the next one: there are those who curse their fathers and mothers, and do not bl- curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. The eye that mocks a father that scorns an aged mother will be pecked out by the ravens of the valley and will be eaten by the vultures. Wow, I'm glad you kids have stayed in. Now you can see why I kept you in. Actually, it's quite uh, dramatic, isn't it? And uh, you, you think, what's that all about? Well, it's, uh, this is—I mean, I think horrible histories is great. So we're going into horrible history country here. This is about a cursed execution. If you are uh, an executed and disgraced, seriously, you may remember that Jesus, uh, by being nailed to a cross, was in the category of one cursed. You know, hung on a tree. Uh, the, the body of someone who d- was executed in that way would be left for the vultures to eat. And in case you think, well, that wouldn't have happened here, have, I don't know if any of you have ever been round the uh, gatehouse at the top of uh, the high street, right up at the top, near the law courts, there's a, a, a gate, and uh, we've taken all our grandchildren there. It's a real good freebie, if you don't know it, you can go up, and you can stand and look down the high street, look out, but on the way up, you can find, uh, for example, um, Civil War helmets you can try on, round helmets, or you can dress as a Elizabethan lady, which I rather enjoy, to be honest. No, no, I didn't do it. Oh, where, did, where did that come from? Oh, no, 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 I didn't do that at all. I used the helmets. And, you, could, and you, could do a, 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 you can dress in Elizabethan dress. And then there's various muskets and swords. And up there, there is the shape of a person as a sort of cage hanging from a chain. And when they'd executed some people, they used to stick them in, things like that, to warn the others and just let the birds peck at them. It's great, isn't it? You're glad you came this morning, aren't you? And I, th- I actually think that we have got a bit squeamish today. We need to understand that these things really did go on. When I was reading and preparing, I read uh, Matthew Poole's commentary for the 1600s. He wrote it in the 1600s. Now, actually, Matthew Poole himself was persecuted for his faith He was in an era similar to John Bunyan and uh, on one occasion in 1679 he narrowly escaped assassination when he was preaching. Well he writes a commentary on this verse that we've just been looking at and, uh, and they don't write commentaries like this anymore. And he says this, Crows and ravens who feed on dead carcasses particularly peck out the eyes. The reason being either the softness of that part which makes it more easy for them or for easy for them to take or the pleasant taste of it and I've got this cartoon picture of ravens sort of discussing the taste of uh, there's a very ancient way of writing and saying this is a cursed death this is a very serious thing okay actually the Bible is very clear all the way through and there's this bit in Leviticus 20 verse 9 which we'll put up which is part of really the laws of Leviticus. Anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death because they've cursed their father and mother and their blood will be on their own head. Now we have to say why we don't live like this today and rightly so and by the end of the morning we're going to talk about how Jesus has borne the curse for us. And when Jesus died on the cross, we sometimes don't get, why did he die? Well, he died because sin is very very important, and God sees the wages of sin as death. It's a judgment on sin. And sometimes it's a bit of a wake-up call when you read these Old Testament scriptures and you realize that this was considered a very serious sin to curse your parents and to be rebellious against your parents, and so there was a very serious crime associated with it. A punishment associated with the crime. We fortunately live in the new covenant after Jesus has come. But one of the reasons we can live so free and so at peace is that actually Jesus bore our curse on the cross. So there was a cursed death for sin and it was real and someone bore it, Jesus. And by putting faith in Jesus, we can be forgiven our sins, not just this sin of rebellious uh, dis- dis- disdain and disdain, and, uh, contempt for parents but but also other sins all other sins he bore our death and actually the new the new testament picks up this old testament sort of element of honoring parents and reinforces it not the element of curse there is a blessing if you obey your parents that's even in the old testament deuteronomy five 16, let's look at that quickly that's part of the 10 commandments one of the big 10 Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and it may go well with you in the lands the Lord your God is giving you. And that is picked up in the New Testament. Let's go straight to Ephesians 6. And in Ephesians 6, which is our sort of section of the Bible, the rest we can learn from, but this is where we live, this is actually emphasized again. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, what I want you to get out of that slightly gaulish and slightly mixed introduction is that how we behave as families, how we behave to our parents, is seen by God as very important. And there is a massive blessing for those who behave in the right way towards the generation above them, towards their parents. God honours that. God said, you will be blessed. He says that in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But there is, as Proverbs highlights, a pretty serious curse, to be honest, which is put there for those who despise their parents and curse them and abuse them in some way or, you know, exploit them even financially. So there is a big deal going on here. And we need to work out what it's about. So we're going to take three sort of little sections and just explore it, of which the middle one will be the longer one. Let me first of all talk about the importance of the family. God sees the family unit as a pivotal part of society. Now, let me remind you, I'm going to be referring, not even read it, referring to the early, early chapters of Genesis, Adam and Eve, briefly. And when I refer to it, people can often switch off and think, oh, well, you know, you know it's just a myth. And, you know, we know. No, well, first of all, I don't believe it is just a myth. But secondly, it is undoubtedly a piece of literature written four or 5,000 years ago. So it is about something pretty ancient and something pretty clear. And actually, what we find there is that if you like human society begins with a family unit which then spreads out and multiplies so you get adam and eve the ha- man and the woman come together one man and one woman not one man and several women not one woman and several men not one man and a man or a woman and a woman one man and a one woman and they come together and out of them come the offspring And that is essentially a family, and it's not a nuclear family. That's how it starts. And then there is a spreading out and a development of human society. But that is still God's ideal building block. Now, before you say to me, oh, that's a bit, you know, basic and, you know, too... Uh, whatever, restricted. Let me tell you, the Bible is naive, not naive. The Bible knows what's happened in human history. God knows. God is not a prude. He's not, he doesn't, he isn't unaware of the terrible mixture of aberrations and confusions that have come into human life and all sorts of human relationships. If you were to read Genesis itself, just the book of Genesis, you would come across incest. You would come across rape. You would come across all sorts of things. You'd come across bigamy with people with several wives. You'd come across uh, homosexual practice. You'd come across all sorts of things. These things are in life, and we then have to work out how God's grace and mercy helps us in them. But if you're going right back to the original plan, you find it at the beginning of the book of Genesis. So although these other things are there, we know they're there, they're in, and some of the great patriarchs are bigamists, and we have to work our way through it. But actually, it's clear (laughs) that the ideal way it works is how it was at the beginning, before all the confusions and, and troubles that sin brought came in. And so actually still, society benefits and is healthier and more stable if essentially it's built on the principle of a man and woman producing their children and looking after their own children, and I know there are many, many times that doesn't happen, but I'm just saying how it works best, and look after those kids to adulthood. The children honour the parents. The parents care for, love, and nurture the children. And that is how it works best. Now, I know when I'm speaking to a room of any number of people, there'll be all sorts of people say, well, that's not what I experienced, and I know that. And actually, that's part of the pain of a sin-sick world. But actually, it's good to sometimes stop and say, this is how it's built in the most healthy and stable way. And frankly, statistics that even secular uh, research does will often show that essentially those elements are what make for a happier and stable life for families and for society. And for this family unit to work, as God has decreed it or made it, we do need respect for parents and respect for partners. That's why Commandment five and commandment seven are in the ten commandments. Commandment five is on your one we read, honour your mother and father. Commandment seven is thou shalt not commit adultery or you shall not commit adultery. So so there is a sense in which these two commitments, these two relationships are fairly fundamental for all people at all times for healthy family and community life. This is transgenerational, and it is transcultural. It stands way above just being something from Victorian England. It's nothing like that. It goes way back. But there are two fundamentals. Your respect for your parents and respect for your partner, husband, wife, spouse, are foundational to um, stable, healthy family life. Now, unfortunately, the world we live in, 21st century Western society, Many of these, uh, many things have undermined these. And I'm not going to spend this morning ranting about it. I hardly need to. You'll know. We have actual laws that undermine it now. But general promiscuity... General media mockery, which has gone on for decades now, of what we might call a stable historic family concept, that's gone on for a long time, mocking fathers and mothers often and other aspects. There's the whole breaking down of barriers between the sexes and and, and differences and all the rest of it. There are, though, the social trends, consumerism, individualism the fact that we now have such mobile job markets and all the rest of it, making us sort of hyper-independence from parents. And it all gets very confused. It all gets very confused. It's a mixture of moral undermining and simply social trends. And so we do need to sometimes just stand steady and say, what is God saying? The word of God stands like a rock in amongst the swirling currents of fashion and trends and change. And we need to see what does God say and how does it work out? And we're going to look at one aspect of that rock this morning, and we are looking at it, about parents and honoring our mother and our father. So let's talk, secondly, about understanding true honoring. What does it mean and I'm applying to all of us what does it mean to honor our father and our mother? I think, and I think I may have used this before at least on one occasion here, but I I think it's worth repeating. I would would use three words to try and understand what the Bible means by true honouring. And the first word would be obey. The second is going to be respect, the third is going to be love. But let's start with obey, if I may. So obey... Now this one is an interesting one to talk about and we've got young people with us as well as older folk but we've all been young and we've all been at home living with our parents as children. I think while we are still young our parents have a right to expect a fairly high degree of obedience from us. Now let's keep with what it should be. A Christian parent should be kind and loving and understanding, and I know many of you are, and their goal should be the best for their children, and I know that's true of many in this room. And so a child's obedience needs to be rooted in the fact that the mum and dad are for you and want you to grow up healthy and strong and able to relate to other people sensibly and wisely. But mum and dad's obedience doesn't necessarily depend on mum and dad getting everything right. It doesn't depend on them asking nicely, though it is better if they do ask nicely. And it doesn't really depend on them explaining everything, why you should do this. It's great if they do as you get older, but actually God says, I want you to obey your parents whether you quite get it or not, and whether they say it in the nicest way or not. And when we're dealing with these sort of things in the Bible, we always have to think, well, what's it saying to me? This is true when you get husbands and wives, which is not my subject this morning. We have to say, well, what's the Bible say to husbands? What's the Bible say to wives? And if I'm a husband, which I am, I need to listen to what it says to me and not what it's saying to my wife, Marion, and try and say, look, Marion, you ought to read that. Do you good? No, no, no. (laughs) What's it saying to you? Now, and this morning, because the subject is what it is, we're thinking of us when we've got a hat on of being under, you know, parents with the children. And we're all, as I say, got parents. So, so we're thinking, well, how do we do this? Well, God's saying, I want you to be predisposed to obey them, <laughs> that you are going for obeying them. Now, I have to say quite seriously, occasionally a parent may ask a child to do something that's wrong, or that violates the child's conscience or clearly would be wrong before God and actually the Bible is very clear that when something like that happens in any context we obey God not the authority that would be true if our government told us we should not preach about Jesus we would disobey them and preach about Jesus because we know that's what God wants because all authority comes from God and the only reason you could argue we obey lesser authorities is because of our respect and obedience to God so if God says to me obey my parents because I love you Lord I'm going to try and do that but if my parents say to do something that's clearly totally wrong and not what God would want clearly in an obvious way then I have a greater responsibility to obey God That obviously needs a little bit of thought and some of the more thoughtful teenagers can discuss that with Kate and Jim. But actually it does need thinking through because that's how it works with all authority. So when does the obedience phase pass? Do we obey our parents all through our lives? No, we don't. I can't give you an age thing. I can't say, well, you don't need to, you know, you stop, you, st- you move out of this when you're 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. I don't think it's quite like that. For me, the way I would explain it, I think this obedience phase passes as you become independent of your parents, which is an interesting question for our modern society where financial situations make it hard for people to be independent from their parents till they're quite a bit older so it obviously has to be a phasing and a negotiated thing but in my mind and i think it's a biblical principle as long as you are dependent on your parents you owe them an element of obedience and there's a something when you and it's most clearly reflected in the marriage thing where you leave your parents to cleave to your partner and that's a very clear point where you don't obey your parents you do, if you're married you 're not really your prime responsibility is not to obey your parents because that can cause family trouble You're, you have left them now your prime relationship is your husband and wife, and your relationship together, humanly speaking is key in deciding things, not your parents' relationship to you now so that 's a, a quite a clear one where the breaks properly occurred but I think even in singleness as you grow old and more independent and more financially independent and more independent in your choices and your understanding so the obedience thing phases back as the best way I can describe it and your parents should no longer expect the sort of obedience level they would have expected perhaps when you were younger but you need to respect how much you're dependent on them still and bear that in mind in your response to them So the next word I'd like to look at is respect, which is a key word here. Obedience and respect. Because obedience isn't at much value if it isn't accompanied by respect. Obedience is the response we make to somebody's commands. Respect is the response we make to them, their character. And it's far more important, far deeper. So we need to respect someone even if we don't always obey them. And it's possible to do that. It's possible to disobey and yet still be respectful. And we have to learn how that works as Christians. We have to learn about it in terms of our government, sometimes in our workplace, that you might be asked to do something, lie or something, which is inappropriate. You're not going to do it. But you need to do it without a a nastiness and a defiance and a disrespect. There needs to be a respect, even as you stand firm and don't perhaps obey something you know you shouldn't do. So that's how it works out here too. Respect, in a sense, is timeless, obedience may change a bit and phase in and out or out eventually but if we respect someone we will always try and give due regard to what they think about something we may disagree with them and we may not obey them and we may not please them but we'll try and explain to them the the reason why we've had to do that in other words we'll give our parents time and respect as individuals who brought us up and who know us very well that they need a bit of explanation for what's gone on so that's quite important and I think this one is very important as we get to teenage years and we get into that phasing period where do we obey our parents all the time we're now 16 17 18 20 whatever we're still at uni dependent on them for money so how does this work then well I think respect should stay all the time And I think that means that you do try and understand what is it they're worried about? What are my parents worried about here? What trouble are they worried about me getting into? Can I respect that and address that even though I don't think... You know, let's take an easy one because it is relatively easy. I'm going to do something quite dangerous physically and my mum doesn't want me to do it because it's dangerous. But I know it's fun and I rather like fancy having a go at bungee jumping or something, and uh, I need to respect the fact that she's not just a neurotic sort of bag of nerves, but she bore me, brought me up. She doesn't want me smashed on the rocks in Australia or something. So I need to just give her a few reassurances. Oh, it all works very well. Not quickly. Oh, don't be so stupid. Of course, it's all right. You know. But no, 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 respectful, like, well, I'm just, you know, I just enjoy it, fancy it. I, I do, you know, might do skydiving one day, so get used to it. You know, but, you, but you actually... <laughs> say it nicely that wasn't nice but you know you might actually tell what your thinking is you might actually try and address their worries so anyway I'll give you a ring in the evening you'll know I'm all right you know whatever way you want to. so there's a sort of loving respect that this person is just not belly aching all right got roughly the idea so I think respect means we acknowledge that our parents do know us most parents do know their children and know us quite well that they have a very real concern for us. They have quite a long experience of life themselves. So, you know, we respect that. And they may have a different perspective, i.e. their concern for our safety. We're wanting a new experience. And we just need to somehow bring that into the equation. This is all part of honouring. And finally, love. Now, love is the deepest root of honouring. And really, it's what the rest all grows out of. It's love that motivates a parent towards a child to sacrifice, to make actions on behalf of the child. And I think we as children, even adult children, need to appreciate how much our parents did sacrifice for us, even some of the not brilliant ones. Uh, and, it, and it is quite nice now that I'm older, Mary and I, and we've got our children grown up and our, um, our, our, our grandchildren. And it's nice. We you know sometimes our adult kids have said to us oh, we realise why you did that. <laughs> you know, some way we put a boundary in in their teens or, or when they were breaking the boundaries, I realise how that must have worried you. And we have had that said to us, haven't we? We've had, we had one or two conversations with them. And, and it's quite nice. I mean, we have, thank God we have a good relationship with them all and it's quite nice sometimes to talk about it. And I asked them, I said, well, what was the tough bits? And, they say, and, you know, you get, oh, you've been a pastor. I wish you'd been a school teacher. Telling my kids at school what you did, my friends at school was horrible. <laughs> That's a, oh, right, thanks, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so we, we have conversations sometimes about it. But, but actually, um, it's good to know that they actually do respect you, pick it up. And, and I mean, I've got loads of stuff I could do with this, I must be careful. But I think with your family, uh, I'm talking now as a parent actually, I think your attitude is the opposite, it's the other side of the same coin. I think you'd move from command, I've said this many times, command um, to, con- to an element of control, to counsel, to concern as your children grow up. And, and the, the, the sort of first two, like obedience, are pretty limited. You know, you're only commanding for the young, young years, really. There's a control element, which is quite important, where you bring a discipline to the whole home, which will go on a bit further. And, and but, but as they begin to get into teens and get old enough to leave home, I think you're more in the area of counsel. You're trying to help them to make good calls, and chi- you're trying to shape their thinking. You're trying to help them to make the right calls. But Concern, which is sort of there all the time, that remains throughout your life. So I've got adult children who are are earning more money than me and doing higher powered jobs than me, and I'm still concerned. And actually, thank God, they still ask ask for my counsel occasionally. But I can't push my counsel on them. I don't provoke it by saying, What are you doing that for? I know they know pretty well what they're doing, but I am very happy to share my counsel, and I'm always concerned. And we will pray. I don't mean concern, worry. Just concern. I don't mean worry. I mean I'm involved, I'm engaged. And I'll pray for them and we'll talk about them and we'll ask them how they're doing and how the job interviews went and whatever else. So actually that is the sort of parent side of this same sliding scale of but, but love undergirds both the parent and the child. And love is so important in a Christian home that we love each other. We're talking about high standards. I understand that. But let's aim high, let's go for what the Bible says. Don't let's be ashamed of our kids or ashamed of our parents. Let's build families where parents and children genuinely love each other and are proud of each other. Let's be proud of each other, proud of our parents, proud of our kids. Let's try and build in that sort of allies in life together. We are here to build this home, this family. Make it a place of, of, of shelter and of, of fun and also a place of care and support when life is tough. That's what we're trying to build when we build good homes. And I would say on the loved one, another way you can show love to your parents is pray for them. Now most children, even I think probably outside the Christian circles, often are taught to pray or pray God bless mummy and daddy. And actually that's not a bad prayer for the rest of your life. Now you can fill it out with a few more words and make it a little more meaningful, but actually that is a good prayer for any of us to pray for our children. God bless them. God meet with them. If your parents aren't Christians, pray frequently for them. Pray for them to meet God. Show your love by not only praying for them, but by actions. Show interest and care. Don't Whack them over the head with the gospel. That doesn't work very well with close relatives. But, but on the other hand, do show what your faith means to you and try and explain to them. If they say, what are you doing giving money to that silly church? Try and explain what your thinking is. And sometimes that will help you to dig in and talk about your faith. Now, I realize when I'm saying all this, very common now to have uh, perhaps divided home or divorced parents, and that's painful. And I'd say on the child side we have to really walk through that carefully. It can be quite a challenge, quite damaging sometimes. We mustn't get bitter and angry and we'll have opportunity to pray at the end in a few minutes. We, we need to, to not try try not to take sides. Try not to cast blame. Certainly don't pick up guilt, which is very easy to do that somehow it's your fault they split up. That's very easy to do. But don't despise them either. Remember that Mostly, they must have loved each other at one time or they wouldn't have produced you. And uh, life is quite tough and hard. Try and have an element of compassion and care in all the middle middle of your hurt and disappointment. So I'm already blurring into my last point, which is faith-filled action. And we're talking about it already. I think God's pretty graphic, we've seen that, that there is a blessing... If we can work with this principle of honoring our parents, and there's a curse if we ignore it. And I think that gives us a strong ground to be preactive in trying to work for this. We want to honor our mums and dads, our parents. We want to work out creative, sensible ways to do it. And we want to boldly claim God's promise that if we do that, He will bless us, we'll live long in the land. I think, I personally think you can pray that. I think you can bring God's promises to Him and say, God, I want to honor my parents and I want you to bless me. I want you to bless me. Jabez prayed, Oh God, bless me. It's a prayer that's in the Bible. I think you can do it. But actually, The more important thing is what I've perhaps already said. We want to demonstrate, if we can, if we're Christian homes and Christian parents and Christian children, we want to demonstrate that you can build life differently from many experiences in our culture. We want to be light. We want to be salt. We want to be a light on a hill. We want to say it doesn't have to be this way. Family life need not be a nightmare. Jesus can make a difference. And I think we need to remember that the majority of people in every generation even you young people who've been so patient listening to me you will most of you will be parents yourselves one day so it's not a bad thing to do the right thing and think about it and all of us probably will have parents who grow old and we need to look after maybe all of us I suspect will, unless Jesus comes back will ourselves grow old and someone will need to look after us And I know it's not always tidy in families, but there are times when we have to honour our parents and it's quite tough as they get elderly and frail and sick. And I think our society is already reaping something of the curse element that you pick up in the Bible when we lose this and we break it all up and it all becomes broken and disparate and dysfunctional. We need honouring our parents to come back. And we've got to start with ourselves. There's no good preaching it to the world if we don't do it ourselves. We've got to start and say, God help me to do this. And there's a very powerful verse that ends the Old Testament that I'm going to end with this morning, which calls on God to help us, or calls us to do this, I think. Lord, help us turn the hearts of the parents to the children, and the hearts of the children to the parents. And then it says, or else God will come and strike the land with a curse. And so there is a serious underlying theme here, that there is a curse element to defying and defiling this principle, and there's a blessing element to honouring it and doing your best to fulfil it. Let's stand together, and we'll have our musicians up as well, because I want to pray as they gather. We're going to pray a bit over the next five minutes, just as we finish. Because I know that this is, a, this is a, sometimes it's a nightmare, sometimes it's a minefield family life. So I do know that. But we have to look at the Bible and see the big picture and try and work from that onwards. But just as we stand together, just as the musicians gather their thoughts, I want to pray something for our nation out of that verse. Father, I thank you that your word is very clear. And you said, Lord, that if a nation honors you and honors your word, it exalts a nation. And Lord, I want to ask you that even in these fractured, difficult times, we will see a turning of the hearts of parents to children and children to parents. And I pray, Lord, that you will bring blessing where there's been curse in this area. Lord, I freely admit that we are reaping what we have sown as a a culture as a community of people as a country we're reaping what we have sown but Lord in your mercy I pray that you will spare us the full curse that strikes the land that the curse will no longer stalk the land and you will pour out your spirit and turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the children to the parents I pray, Lord, that you'll pour a revival in our land, that will stir hearts and turn them back to your ways and your principles, not driven by law, but drawn by your love, understanding the wisdom and the love of your ways. I pray you will do it, Lord, for your glory. Amen.